Hi, I'm Ethan. I love muzzleloading. Today we're talking to Mike Judson about his experience in muzzleloading and living history, as well as the five medals at the Trace living history event here in northern Indiana. So I really hope that you enjoy this episode. Mike is one of the nicest guys out there. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. I've been a history nerd since like fourth grade. And uh, but I think it's genetic, Ethan, and and I think you of all people would certainly understand the concept of that. Um, so my dad was an avid hunter and outdoorsman, and his uh, his uncle, two meaningful other uh, meaningful men in my life, his uncle and his cousin. Um, and these men all kind of took me under their wing as a little tyke. And, you know, I've been roaming the, the fields and the woods for years. I got a um, I got my first shotgun when I was nine years old. Oh, awesome. And that was that was in 1965. But in 1964, for those that are my age uh, or a little bit older, 1964, a guy named Fess Parker uh, stepped out of the TV screen into our living rooms as Daniel Boone. And I got to tell you that that just inspired me so much. And I just lived that fantasy, you know, for years and years of, of the whole, you know, Kentucky and, you know, Western, uh, long hunter and all that stuff. And, yeah. and so fast forward a little bit, Ethan, and, uh, 1980s, I'm living in the mid South and, um, I'm, I'm hitting every civil war site that I can find. And I'm seeing these guys dressed out in, um, you know, union and Confederate, uh, uniforms and they're firing the, the artillery and they're shooting these really cool reproduction, uh, uh long arms and, and, uh, flint, uh, uh, cap locks. And, um, you know, I was just really mesmerized by that, but I thought it was like the secret society that, that, you know, you had to know somebody or know something to, to get involved. I had no idea, but I was working 65 hours a week at that time too. Right. So. You only have so much capacity to get into something new when you're working like that. Exactly. And that's, you know, we'll, we'll probably touch on that later this evening, perhaps. And, uh, you know, in this hobby that there's people out there that would love to participate, but there, you know, there's certainly those constrictions on their, on their time. But, uh, so, uh, moving, move ahead a few more years and, I was able to move back up north and get a, a normal job with normal hours and and uh, was a um, was a Cub Scout dental leader. Oh. And uh, one of my good buddies in the hobby uh, was uh, a dental leader and another uh, or another dental leader. And we just kind of came up with this idea. It's like, hey, you know, let's start taking these kids to a couple of these events that we've been hearing about. And so every season we took them to two events. And one of them was um, Mrs. Cinema, 1812. And, you know, so the other the other uh, scout leader myself just got, you know, we were just really intrigued and enthused about this whole thing. And and finally, my wife, bless her heart, she says, you know, you need to you need to get off the the chair here. And just just go do this. And about that same time, my my buddy goes, hey, man, he says, I think we could do this. And sure <laughs> enough, we we uh, we started, you know, I'm ordering, I'd already been ordering like catalogs and uh -huh. all the stuff you could find and, you know, had, had, um, learned about Townsend's and, and, uh, uh, so at any rate, we, we got some gear around. And so 1996 was our first year at Mississippi and, um, he still evolved and this year will be our 27th consecutive year. Really? 1812. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. Because that's a so fairly local event to both of us. We're both northern Indiana folks here. 
Right. Yeah. And uh, we are, you know, I, I know there's different regions of the of the country that mm-hmm. just seem to have, um, you know, an affinity for growing events. And I think uh, this Indiana area has been a good one. We've had a lot of good events uh, and within reasonable driving range of where, where uh, we live. Absolutely. I was listening to Jason Gatliff of, of Muzzleloader talk some, um, and he was talking to somebody out West and he said that, you know, in the Eastern part of the country here, if you're interested in this, there's just about something every weekend within driving distance for oh, you. Right. You know, we're very, very fortunate. I mean, if, yeah. if you want to drive a whole day, you know, you can most definitely find some place to go. Um, but especially where we're at, you know, a few hours and you're generally there just about every weekend. I do want to ask you, how did you hear about Townsend's at the time that you did? Because we all know them now as this YouTube video giant, you know, both in living history and just general population. I hear about people all the time that watch the Townsend's videos. But what was it? How did you find them when you got into this and you're starting to order catalogs and things just as kind of a time capsule for us? Yeah, that's that's a pretty good question because I'm old. My memory isn't <laughs> as strong as, as as it should be. But, you know, we're kind of reaching back around 30 years here. So um, some way, somehow, I think uh, uh, by visiting events, because I spent a couple years just going around as a as a visitor to these events so mm-hmm. i can guarantee you that i had a smoke and fire news in my hand and then uh, probably saw townsend's perhaps working an event and uh because that's that's how they got the word out in those days you set up at events and you had you had your your media was print yeah and so you're handing out catalogs and you're handing out newspapers and you're handing out you know all this stuff and um then to find out they their their shop uh, was then and still is today only forty uh, forty five minutes south of where I live so um, that was a, a pretty uh, frequent visit down there as I was getting started in the reenacting world that's so cool I love hearing yeah, about print, that print media <laughs> yeah yeah print media and then you're you know you're uh, you're going through the the newspapers and you see oh here's a you know here's an ad for log cabin I'm gonna order there you know, their uh, catalog and you see these are catalogs and, you know, just built this library. Yeah. Yeah. You kind of have a whole shelf of those catalogs. I, right. I see I people probably, have those all the time. It's great. I probably still do. <laughs> yeah. actually. So, I found a bunch of uh, old shoot programs from like the sixties and seventies when my, my folks were traveling shooting hard. And I love going through those and just kind of seeing oh, that's great. what it was like then, you know? Yeah. So what would your, I guess, area of focus then be in that? Like what time period do you enjoy portraying and, and kind of what are you researching and, and developing with this? Sure. And I'll, I'll give a little background there yeah. too as well, because I think it's kind of an evolution. Um, you know, starting out, it's just, wow, what do I want to do and and what gear do I need to procure? And 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 back to your your uh, your question about the type of media in use. Yeah, we didn't have the Internet. So you know, research was much more tedious and time consuming and, and more difficult than it is today where you could pull up, you know, virtually anything on online. And so I'm just going around to these events and uh, kind of settled in on the French and Indian War era because of Last of the Mohicans, right? Uh-huh, yeah. And, you know, everybody was doing that. And I think as we're recording, this is the 30th anniversary of when it was released this oh, very day. I oh, saw that online kidding. today. How cool is that? <laughs> Sorry to so, interrupt you there. But. Yeah, well, there's, uh, I don't know if anybody's going to be listening, but, um, you know, 
got some friends that were uh, went out there and worked on that. And, um, oh, and awesome. thanks, thanks to all those people for all their hard work. Yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, there, there's been some, um, well-known individuals that were leaders in, uh, doing videos and, and doing how to's kind of the, kind of the early, uh, version of a YouTube. Yeah. And, you know, so we're watching these guys and, and so just kind of, you know, kind of kept leaning into that direction. And, uh, so the evolution then was, was to start a few, uh, attending a few events, but then as I got to know people and got a little better in my persona, I was getting invitations maybe to private events oh. or to actually just immerse and do the Wood Scouts. And so there was a period of years where I was doing, you know, maybe maybe eight uh, to even 10 Wood Scouts uh, a year and maybe only three or four events. And so it was just, you know, it was a little, it was uh, something I certainly didn't anticipate, but that's kind of how it, how it shook out. Well, then as I got older um, and it began, you know, it was getting more difficult to do those scouts, you know, carrying your gear and humping up and down hills and stuff like that. And so I kind of evolved back into the event circuit and then started to fine tune a little bit, I think, my area of interest. And that became the, the 1812, the War of 1812 era, that in that pre-settlement mm-hmm. time of my, my home in northern Indiana, there's an and my eyes were open because there's so much history up here and we just gloss over it. And yet there's really a, a there is a deep past here that um, the research has been fascinating. So really dialed in more on the, on the 1812. And then of course, during the, um, during the bicentennial, um, that was just an exciting time to be a historical reenactor because there was all kinds of events there were all kinds of commemorations so we got to do some real meaningful work there um as part of the unit i was in which was the second kentucky volunteer militia and we got to we got to go to some pretty cool places uh frankfurt kentucky in fact uh as their as their invited unit to come down there and represent kentucky uh uh at kentucky's entry into the war of 1812 and they're just really really meaningful stuff so um you know, there's just there's just so much there's so much heart in the world of living history and and uh, you know it's been good to be part of that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's I think that's what's a big part of it for me is is connecting to that history. I mean, we and I think history classes, unless you're taking something dedicated to the 1812 period, it's kind of colonial era, Rev War, and then we're on the West Coast. You know, yeah, so, you're something going happened rush. for a couple of years and yeah. they burned Washington and boom, and, and New Orleans happened. And yeah, then, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. you kind of leave off, you know, a major, as far as landmass goes, you know, areas that were dramatically affected and changed by that period of time. Uh, it's, it's neat for me. I've been kind of rediscovering that as well and trying to understand more of my local history. Uh, Cause it was shortly after then that I actually had family in the area. Um, so I've been trying to connect those dots and, and kind of line that up in my head as to, you know, when these historic events that I've read about happened and then when, people that were related to me started to show up and you know, exactly. you could argue that was, you know, those are connected, you know, because of the events of that war. And, you know, as we continued West, um, you know, it's kind of a neat personal experience, I guess I'm just rambling on about there, but that's something I love about muzzling and living history is finding those connections and, and putting them together. Oh, I totally get it because, um, for example, and, and it's helped me too, and to do the genealogical research in my family, uh, it's excited me to do that because I, you know, because I'm a 
nerd like that. <laughs> I kind of focus in on, okay, what was, you know, first thing, let's find their military service. And then there's, that's an interest and that just opens up and you learn other things. And for example, um, you know, the Plattsburgh was just in the, in the news and, and um, my, grandfather, my direct ancestor, uh, was at Plattsburgh. He was a major in the Vermont militia and they, wow. you know, they were ordered out to Plattsburgh. So that's where, where he went. So, you know, all of a sudden you kind of feel this connection. It's like, oh, you know, Plattsburgh's in the news. Well, guess what? I got, you know, I got DNA out there on that, on that property. So. Right. Huh. That's something else. So how have, how have the events that you've been going to and, and uh, you know, used to go to or, or, or hope to go to in the future, how have those changed over the years? Yeah, good question. And um, I don't know, you know, as far as events, if you think about an event, just the, the mechanics of an event, I don't know that the events have really changed that much. I think it's more the people. Mm. Um, and, and you know, because as I mentioned earlier, just our, our uh, the availability of research and documentation. And I, I'm real big on looking at the period artwork of the day and looking at street scenes and tavern scenes. And I think just more that's been put in front of people. So I think, I think the people are doing a better job of developing their, their personas and getting their uh, outfitting uh, closer to being correct. We're never going to be perfect. I don't know how that is, would even be possible, but right. just, just getting it to where, we're comfortable in our own skins and, and feel good about we're, what we're doing. And we have peer support uh, for what we're doing and, and always be willing to continue learning and improving. And so I think I've just sensed a little bit stronger um, participation at that level versus where we were 25 years ago. And, and certainly I'm, I'm with you, the, the photos I've seen of the, um, you know, the, the country's bicentennial, um, you know, Hey, those guys were doing a great job for that day and for what they had. Yeah. And, absolutely. um, and I think we're just doing a, doing a better job today. Um, but you know, events, you know, some of the real, uh, long time running and popular events, I think they, they, the event itself is pretty static. They, they, you know, they've dialed in on what they need to do and they're about the same every year. It's just, mm-hmm. you get some new demonstrators in, Hey, you, you develop a new, um, thing you want to do out on your, on your battery enactment. Um, you, you improve, you know, certain things, uh, aspects of the event, but, um, yeah, I just, I think it revolves more around the people. Yeah. Have you seen that you, do you think an increase in that interest in the, in the documentation and that, that striving to be more historically accurate over time? Um, I do. And, um, it, you know, it's a little bit of a moving target. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the, I think the folks that, um, are maybe my age and, you know, with, and, and certainly, uh, your generation coming up, I think have seen the importance of documentation at a, uh, a living history event. And so we try to share that message and there's a way you share it certainly that's, um, that's in a helpful and encouraging manner. Yeah. And, um, also I think there has to be grace, um, new people, people that can't afford to come out and just buy, you know, everything all at once. And we need to just help them, um, loan them things. And, um, you know, then I think that's a good way to, to, you know, for continuous improvement in what we do. And it's like I said, it's a moving target. I mean, you know, folks are, it's like herding cats. Folks are you know, <laughs> all over the place, yeah. but, but I think that's yeah, perhaps the ideal. Well, that's something that I get a lot of questions about, especially since I've been more publicly uh, 
sharing my journey in that and trying to be more accurate. I mean, you and I have known ourselves, known each other for, for quite a while. You, you kind of knew me through my teen years where I was, my folks, you know, kind of purchased what they could afford to dress me in, you know, to make, make me, you know, uh, acceptably period appropriate for, for a teen, you know, it's growing all the time. You're not going to fit in everything. You can't really spend a lot of money on that, but I've been more public recently about my own interest in trying to expand on that and become more historically accurate. And with that, I get a lot of questions, uh, you know, and a lot of comments about it being intimidating, um, you know, for somebody to come in and, and get started and you might not have the right thing, but you want to get involved. What would you have to say to somebody out there that's listening that, that wants to get involved and, and just has a little bit, bit of gear started and wants to get out, uh, but is feeling a little, little hesitation. Um, you know, maybe they don't, maybe they had a bad experience or, or maybe they're not looking or they're worried about negative feedback on their equipment and their, their clothing. Yeah. The, and the bad experiences, and we've heard, um, you know, stories of that over the years. And, and that's a, that's a, a, you know, unfortunate situation when that happens. Um, I think that, um, and, and I can, I'm kind of thinking about a couple of the, the um, event guidelines that I've recently read and, you know, they have some pretty stringent jurying regulations to them and they can be intimidating. And I guess I would suggest that, you know, don't be intimidated, um, make contact with those event coordinators or make contact. And hopefully you already have with somebody who's a regular attendee at that event and just talk to them Mm. and, um, you know, I've been kind of on that other, I've been on both sides of that actually, but uh, I'm kind of on the other end of that now where I would be receiving those, um, those calls and, and there's always ways to work things through um, and get you started. Cause that's, that's key at this, you know, in this environment we're in, um, you know, we got to keep populating these events and that's a key thing to do is do everything you can to help somebody um, get going in a positive way. So, so my encouragement would be don't hesitate to pick up that phone or send that email or text to somebody involved with the event and just start talking to them and ask them their advice on how you can get going. And you know what, if their response is, I'm sorry, if you don't hit the, you know, hit the markers on this during, uh, regulation, you can't come. If that's the response, maybe it's not the event for you. Mm, uh, yeah. And two, I mean, there's, there is a, a difference between setting up and, and exhibiting or demonstrating or camping at an event and just kind of going to see what the event is all about. Right, right. Uh, you know, for, for years, I would just go to an event and, and just kind of walk around, you know, and if I wanted to go in my period clothes, I would and kind of just see what the culture was like of the event, talk to people and learn. And that's an opportunity too to get some one-on-one advice too. If you, if there's somebody there that, you know, is willing to talk to you and they're not busy, you know, at an event, cause it can get kind of hectic. <laughs> yeah, you, absolutely. Can, you can get yeah. some, some really good feedback that way too, before you kind of take that leap into wanting to be at the event and be a part of it too. Yeah. And I think you, you kind of touched on something too, Ethan, that, um, you know, a participant, a general participant, a merchant, a demonstrator. It's kind of three three groups um, that I think about um, mm. in the event, yeah. uh, on the event map. And um, it's sure a lot easier to to, to uh, ease into an event as a as a general participant. You've got a little more latitude, I think. Um, where you know, if you say, "Well, I want to," you know, my first event ever, I'm going to be a demonstrator. 
that's that's a pretty pretty big bite to to take uh, because now you are out in front of the public, you are out in front of the other participants, and there's a higher I think there's a higher standard there perhaps because you're so visible and um, you know they're watching everything you do. So um, so there's kind of levels uh, maybe that that new folks can consider as they move in and have that if you do want to be a demonstrator, maybe have that as your goal uh, a couple years down the road or something like that. but but I think you hit it. yeah, just get in there and get your feet wet and um, and talk to the right people. To I guess talk about these terms a little bit more just in case folks out there aren't familiar with them. like a demonstrator would be somebody, educating or demonstrating a traditional craft or a portrayal of somebody during the period, what would you, how would you describe like a general participant that we're talking about being kind of your introductory level here? A general participant is actually something I like to do a lot, which is just, you know, have a period camp period outfitted. Um, You've, you know, you, you have hit the, the during standards and you set up and you just enjoy that event, enjoy that camp and fellowship uh, in that environment. Yet be ready to have discourse with the public if they stop at your camp and ask you, well, what are you doing or why are you here? Or, hey, could you tell me about this item I see in your camp? Um, but it's, it's a much lower key uh, participation level. And sometimes, you know, we just got to go to camp and, and chill out. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, that's that's the way to do that. Yeah. So, um, and and sometimes, I mean, there's there's certainly camps out there uh, and events out there that are not really intended for a lot of, of public, mm-hmm. and um, and that's their whole intent is for folks to just set up and maybe you maybe you're going to do. Um, maybe share some skills. Um, it might be material culture or it might be culinary or something like that. And really the whole goal of the weekend is just hang out and be in that environment. Yeah. Kind of be in that learning space. It's kind of like right, right. A, a crash course or an intense learning opportunity out in the woods in the mud. <laughs> right. Right. This podcast is brought to you by Thor Bullets. I've talked about Thor Bullets for over a year now, and uh, and I'd like to thank them again for their sponsorship. I have since, in this amount of time, went out and tested these bullets on my range. I have not gone hunting with them, but in my penetration testing and my accuracy testing with my CVA Acura LRV2, I have to say that the Thor Hammer bullets size to my bore for that Acura do a phenomenal job. I have sub one inch groups at 100 yards if I do what I'm doing. Uh, right with the rifle. Uh, really can't speak highly enough of these bullets. I, I think you should try them, not just because they're supporting the show, but because they are performing really well in the tests that I am doing. I also want to say real quick here that they have come out with their Thor muzzleloader practice bullets. These are a 50 caliber, 230 grain sabotaged lead bullet for you to get out. It's a little bit of a cheaper option for you to get out and shoot your muzzleloader, practice with your muzzleloader a little bit more, and in general, get more familiar with your muzzleloader without using the Thor patented, you know, hunting premium bullets that uh, we've been talking about here for a while. So that's something for you to check out, something for you to consider. Uh, There's a lot of muzzleloader bullets out there, but uh, really can't thank Thor enough for their support of I Love Muzzleloading. And, uh, you know, talking with the guys over at Thor, the, the mission and the kind of people that they are, uh, they're really the kind of people that 
I will continue to support through my lifetime and, and my muzzleloading career, uh, apart from the sponsorship. Uh, they've done right by me, and uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun working with them. So check out Thor Bullets. Not really a structured ad read here, but um, I hope that you, you you know check out maybe some of the practice bullets they've got. And uh, as you're planning for your fall 2022 hunts here, check out some of the Thor Hammer Bullets. This podcast is brought to you by Muzzleloader Magazine, the publication for traditional black powder shooters. Since 1974, Muzzleloader has been the leading magazine devoted to traditional black powder hunting and shooting. Each issue is jam-packed with articles on hunting, shooting, gunsmithing, do-it-yourself projects, living history, American history, book and product reviews, and much, much more. Muzzleloader Magazine is the best traditional muzzleloading magazine, bar none. I'd like to thank Jason at Muzzleloader Magazine for his continued support of I Love Muzzleloading and the I Love Muzzleloading podcast. I don't care what you're into. If you're interested in muzzleloading, this is the kind of magazine I think you need to check out. I've been a fan of Muzzleloader Magazine even before the sponsorship. Uh, I've always been impressed with what Jason has been able to put out with Muzzleloader Magazine, and it really means a lot for him uh, to be supporting I Love Muzzleloading and our efforts over here. Thank you, Muzzleloader Magazine, for your support. Well, I wanted to have you on, Mike, to talk a little bit about five medals at the Trace. That's coming up here, and probably by the time you're listening to this, just about a week or two um, for those folks listening at home or, or in your car there. Could you tell us a little bit about five medals at the Trace and, and some of your history with this event? Oh, sure. And I thought you'd never ask. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's coming up October 22nd and 23rd um, is the uh, the weekend portion of the event. The 21st will be our student education day. And uh, it is uh, it's certainly gearing up to be a, a good event this year. Um, you know, five medals has been for me, it's just been a labor of love. It started way back in 2007. Um, some days I got to tell you the, the labor part wears me down, but other days the, the love part lifts me up. So, it's, yeah. uh, I think you can maybe talk to, uh, to anybody that's in a leadership role at these events and, and learn that indeed it's, it's quite the roller coaster at times because there's, uh, um, as we were talking before you, before you started the podcast, you know, we were talking about all those details and just how involved it is to, to be in that leadership role. But the event has uh, progressed to the point where we're now an incorporated 501c3. We have a board of directors. Uh, we're privately funded and a completely independent entity. And so, in fact, I guess you could say, hey, we, you know, we have event, we'll travel uh, right. because we, we have a, we're completely independent and self, self-governed. Um, a huge focus for us is our student education day. And, and that's one area where we've experienced tremendous uh, growth um, as well as within that. Um, and just sharing this to the listeners and anybody who's involved with events, we, we really think we've hit on something with reaching out to the home schools. Um, these kids are, are so engaged and, um, have really been great, uh, great visitors to the event on the student education day. So we just do our best uh, at this event to to bring the best um, living historians and demonstrators who are available um, and who are aligned with our values and uh, to do the best job we can for our students on Friday and for our visitors on the weekend. So kind of in a nutshell, that's that's who we are. Right. We talked a little bit earlier about the, the history of, of the area where we're at here. How does that play into the story uh, that this event is telling through the weekend? 
Well, also good, good question. Great question, actually. Uh, part of our mission at Five Metals is to share the history and the culture of our area. And this northern Indiana, north central Indiana, where we're at, really uh, has a great history. And Five Metals actually was a, um, his name was, his, his uh, Potawatomi name was Wanangasea, and that um, translates out to five coin or five metals. And he was a very prominent Potawatomi chief right in this area. And um, he he was a, a confederate of Little Turtle out of Kikianga, basically Fort Wayne. Right. Um, he was at the signing of uh, of the uh, Treaty of Greenville, which which um, that had popped into my mind earlier in our conversation that um, talking about our area history, you know, that treaty of that event more than the treaty, I think, was was so um important to the European American part of our history because of all the people that were there with Wayne, you know, you had Harrison, you had Lewis and Clark, yeah. uh, you know, these guys, William Wells. I mean, all these guys are, are, are there in, in one spot, but kind so of anyway, before um, they came the, the Titans of history that they, that they are today. Indeed. They were subalterns and, yeah. you know, uh, and, and out here on the frontier. So learning their craft actually, I suppose. Yeah. But uh, so, you know, I could you could get me going for two hours, I think, on five medals. But uh, well, that's, that's, the man. we can dive but, into it some. We got some time here. <laughs> but uh, um, he just, you know, he was he was an important individual. He's an important chief for his people. And, you know, he did a he did a few things. I mean, he um, uh, he and Little Turtle, Little Turtle was, in my opinion, one of the finest uh, strategists and tacticians um, in history. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you look at his, you look at his leadership in the Harmar campaigns and St. Clair uh, campaigns back to what, 1780, I think it was when the bomb real early on Fort Wayne. And I mean, he's just, he was a, (laughs) he was a force, but he and other chiefs like five medals, and Topanabi and White Pigeon and Matea, um, these chiefs in this area, they they understood what was happening with the westward expansion, whether you agree or disagree with it and all mm-hmm. the other stuff that goes with that, you know, they, they could see it happening. Well, Five Metals was fighting very hard and working hard with the U.S. government and with the Quakers, as it turns out, to bring agriculture, the most modern agriculture uh, available of the day to bring it to this area and get his villages and other villages on board. And it was, it was a daunting task and, and ultimately it, it failed. The experiment failed. And I think there was some hanky panky going on behind the curtain. Absolutely. Um, yeah. With that involved maybe money. Um, yeah. as, and, and they were, they were kind of victim to that. Um, you know, he was, he was at the siege of Fort Wayne. I mean, he knew Harrison, uh, from, oh my gosh, well, from, from Greenville, 1795, certainly, but from other meetings along the way. And, you know, just a, just a great character. And, and the research is really, really difficult when you start diving into the Native American history, but you keep at it. I've been researching him for 15 years. You keep at it and you keep digging and little snippets just keep popping up and you learn more and more and more. Hmm. And, um, so that's kind of the, the nutshell history on, on five metals. And the, the initial idea was, um, we need to honor this guy and we need to honor the culture that was here at that time. And so 
while it isn't necessarily going to be the first thing you would see when you walk into the event, it's there mm-hmm. and, and we want to keep it there. And it's in our, it's in our, um, you know, when we, when we share things about the event and when I write, um, it's there. And so along with that though, we, we share, uh, we've got a great group that comes in and they do the, uh, LaSalle expedition. Hmm. And so now you're getting some really early history of this area and these guys do a fantastic job. Um, and so all of our, you know, the, um, the European, uh, countries pretty well are represented at the event. Um, and we have, um, we just have a myriad of the demonstrators. You touched on that earlier, uh, with, you know, like the blacksmiths, tinsmiths, um, we have a wonderful gunsmith that'll be with us this year. And so we've got these, the trades of the day. Uh, we want those demonstrated. We've got, uh, we've got a couple of really unique things coming in this year. And I've never met these guys, but I've talked to them and kind of gotten, uh, 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 you know, get some understanding of what they're, what they're bringing in. We've got a, we've got a guy coming in and he's doing colonial beekeeping. Oh, awesome. It's really cool. Yeah. Cr- no bees, no bees were harmed in any of this, <laughs> this illustration, <laughs> but, but, um, but he's, you know, he's showing the, the, uh, the devices and, and the process. And I think he's going to like do the honey and, and the whole bit. So it's, it's not a big gigantic, you know, fill the tent, uh, demonstration, but it's cool. And it's, it is exactly what our mission is. Yeah. We've got another guy coming in and he's a chocolatier oh. and it, and it was certainly a thing, you know, thing from the, from the period. So oh, yeah. he's going to be, be demonstrating. Um, I love to hear that you have those kinds of, of trades and, and that knowledge being shared. I mean, as, as much as we all love, you know, we, we think of, you know, there's a woodworker and there's a blacksmith. There was so much more going on at that period. And I think sometimes the public perception of the era is, is really influenced by events and by media that portrays the time. And when we stick to war or battles and blacksmithing woodworking, you kind of forget about everything else. I was my research this summer. Uh, my wife and I try to grow a garden every year with some vegetables and things. And I found a whole resource on 18th century gardening techniques and tools and the clothing, you know, that somebody would wear if they were a gardener, you know, attending to an estate's gardens. And, things. and I just, I just fell in love with it because it's kind of that mundane little slice of history that, you know, might get left by the wayside. It's not the flash bang necessarily really cool thing, but that happened and that was there and it was special in the, you know, just like everything else from the period was. Yeah. It's yeah. That stuff. And there's, and there's uh, it's a hidden gem when you run into these things. And I think it, it is important to share that with the public because um, you know, they, again, they see the, they see the, the normal things that you would see in an event and they don't realize that these folks had to manage their lives the same way we do today. Mm-hmm. And it takes, it takes everything um, to, in order to do that. The other, the other aspect too, that is, uh, I think been very important on the living history circuit. And, um, and we will have those folks with us at five metals, which is Maggie Delaney. And, and I'm not sure if she's, if, uh, her companion will be old Badger or Higgins, maybe both. <laughs> and then, um, uh, Parson John will be, uh, be there Sunday morning for our divine service. And, um, but it's this whole idea and this exposure of the low end of society mm-hmm. and all of these jobs that had to get done 
and perhaps more in the urban environment, the settlements than out on the frontier, but still these jobs that had to get done and the jobs that were being done by people just for daily survival. And so when public sees this stuff and when school kids see this stuff, it just opens up a whole new world for them that they don't have a clue about. And so that's, you know, again, for five metals, that's kind of the original concept of this event. Um, and the, and the uh, organization is uh, just the, the preservation of history through education and demonstration. I love that. I just, I'm, you're getting me excited to, for the events to start up here. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. We've got, I mentioned the, the LaSalle expedition and we've got some colonial, uh, we've got a colonial regiment coming in. We'll have an 1812 regiment there. So we've got, uh, the military aspect too, which is always very exciting. And, oh, good. and uh, if anybody is in this area and has gone to events, they know who Dolly is. Mm. And so Dolly will be there, uh, doing her, <laughs> she's the, she's the artillery piece. And so there'll be <laughs> artillery demos. And, um, so yeah, so that's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty full fledged, uh, a day for anybody who would come out. So will there be, I guess, two of the other questions I get a lot about events. Will there be uh, any vendors or shopping opportunities with kind of Christmas coming up? And um, and what about like food at the event? Do you have uh, a variety of food vendors or is it a, is it a smaller setup? We we do. Um, the the um, actually the property owners that we lease the property from for the event is the Stones Trace Historical Society. And they do a fantastic job setting up a food concession. So, you know, here we are late October and they're going to have like chili and chicken and noodles and hot chocolate, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, good, robust outdoor, you know, filling food. Uh, so they'll do a great job. And absolutely, uh, we encourage everyone to bring lots of money because we will have merchants there. We have um, we have a wonderful artist. We'll have um, the soap sellers. We'll have uh, we've got a and this is another exciting thing as we talk about um, folks joining the hobby. We've got a wonderful uh, family that this is their second year on the event circuit and she is an amazing basket weaver her stuff is absolutely gorgeous and we are excited to have her there so i'm, I'm thinking i'm probably going to be walking out with a new basket uh this year and um uh there'll be clothiers there uh there'll be leather workers there there'll be blacksmiths all, all this stuff you know and these guys, uh, the thing that's that's interesting, and, and I I don't think maybe public realizes, like a blacksmith, you may think that all you could buy is what you see on his table or what mm -hmm. he's hammering out. If you've got something interesting that you wanted out of iron, talk to them. Yeah. They may not have it done that weekend, but they'll make it for you and they'll get it to you. And so don't ever be afraid to ask one of these one of these merchants who are who are the craftspeople themselves making this stuff don't ever uh, hesitate to ask them if they'd make something for you know for you. Do you think it would be fair to say that five metals and events like five metals out there are a good place to to go and and purchase items for somebody getting their kit started and getting their clothing and things around? Like if somebody saved up, you know, all their nickels, you know, from their summer job or something like I do, <laughs> right. you know, could, could they come out to five metals and find some of those items that they've been looking for um, to get started and to get dressed up? And, and, and would they be historically accurate? You know, would they be getting off on the right foot? 
Yeah, I think so. Um, and we've we've kind of ebbed and flowed over the years. There's been some years where we've had more merchants there with more clothing options and mm-hmm. type of thing. And and uh, you know, I want to be honest with our listeners this year. Uh, we're all kind of on the downside of that a little bit. We didn't get too many clothing merchants in, but normally the answer would be absolutely. But again, we will have other accoutrements there. Uh, we've got long hunter leather will be there and he just, I mean, if you're looking for nice bags, horns, that kind of stuff, uh, that will all be out there. And then, um, just, just camp items, uh, will be out there as well. Yeah, I guess I, I kind of got hyper focused in there on the clothing because that's what I've been yeah. thinking about. But there's a lot more that goes uh, goes and, with that stuff. But you can't have a conversation about it because um, and oh, I was I've been remiss. I should have been mentioning this as well. Townsend's booksellers will be there with us, and um, as far as I know, this is the rollout for Michael Dragoo's cookbook. Oh, wonderful! And, uh, and for the listeners, Michael Dragoo is a culinary expert. And he's got over, I, in fact, I asked him this week so I could uh, quote this properly. He's got over 9 million views on the Townsend's YouTube channel. Wow. So he's going to be out there demonstrating, as is another fine culinary expert, Laura Supinger from Ohio. Uh, and they'll be out there demonstrating culinary skills. But uh, Townsend's booksellers will be there and you can buy Michael's book along with any other, you know, uh, selections of things they have. And uh, he can you can take his uh, he can take his buttery dough covered fingers and sign a sign an autograph for you <laughs> or, or give you a give you a thumbprint on right. your, you know, inside your book. Um, so, yeah. So when you talk about gifts and that type of thing right, there's a, a great one. The book isn't just dry reading of recipes. He goes into great detail talking about how these recipes were developed, you know, the, the units of measure of the day, the, the devices and instruments used to cook, uh, the utensils, and they're so different from what we have today, and they have different names, and he just talks about all of that, and it's just a fascinating, uh, fascinating book. I haven't even begun to get through all of it, but, but, uh, but yeah, it's just a real interesting read. So uh, there you go. That's my that's my pitch for Michael Jagu, but it's a it's a worthy pitch because it's a worthy uh, worthy enterprise to see him. Yeah, I'm gonna have to probably pick that up that weekend because that sounds Absolutely. awesome. I, especially as the winter months roll around, I love to get in the kitchen and, and cook some and oh, heck yeah. trying out some historical recipes would be wonderful. Right, right. So if after all of this, all the, I mean, you've got me excited and I've, I've been planning on going all year, basically. Um, if somebody has listened to all this and they're a little bit on the fence about going, what would you tell them to get them off the fence and, and get them out to the event that weekend? Well, again, like we were talking about earlier, just don't be afraid. And if you've got questions, you know, we've got our Facebook page, five medals at the trace, just reach me on that Facebook page and, and ask a question and let me help you. Um, you know, let me help you through that. Um, I think it just, you know, for a participant, um, I think it just adds to the fullness of, you know, an excitement of the event to have them there. I think it adds to the fullness and excitement of their own uh, life and living history. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, you know, perhaps to be a new site for some folks and trying out a new site, new event. Uh, don't hesitate. Um, you know, I think we're, and I don't know if we're, we're going to get into this later or not, but, um, you know, there's, there's a real need right now for folks to come out and start, uh, start activity in this hobby because we need to, we need to get our population. We need to, we need to lower our average age. And, uh, and uh, so, you know, I really, really encourage folks to, to uh, take that leap on, on not just five medals, but any event that's in your area, 
uh, just take that leap and, and get going. Um, I was pretty nervous about it too uh, when I first started. In fact, I'll, I'll kind of digress a little bit. Um, I wanted to share this story. We mentioned Townsend's. So I was blessed to be able to know Mr. Townsend, James Townsend. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I was just new getting into this. And I was honestly, I was, I was a little apprehensive about this whole flintlock business. I had never fired one in my life. I didn't really have a mentor or anything for that. And um, so I'm thinking, well, you know, a cap lock might be a little, you know, just a little easier to, to manipulate and use. And, yeah. And uh, so I'm talking to Mr. Townsend and, and, and I said, well, you know, I'm kind of interested in the local history here and maybe developing something to work around, you know, with this local history. And I said, but, you know, what can I do? Because I'm, you know, I'm still thinking the excitement of, you know, running around the woods and, and uh, doing all that kind of stuff. And I said, what, you know, what's a good thing I could look into doing, if, you know, and, and, and be using a percussion firearm. <laughs> and he just, he just looked at me like with this deadpan face and he goes, Indiana pig farmer. <laughs> and that just that stopped me in my tracks and i thought you know mike you, you need to just uh you need to figure out these footlocks and learn how to use them and i'm so glad and it's all because of him and and i'm so glad because they are just they're they're functional works of art they're just gorgeous they're fun to shoot and uh you know they're just uh that's the coolest thing. I, I got to push back on that just a little bit because the family rifle that I have from the early eight, early mid 1800s here came from a family of pig farmers and it's a, it's a percussion <laughs> back. That's great. Uh, well, I assure you, I assure you it was a conversion though. It, it started life as a flintlock. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so. it's a, it's a full stock. So maybe I'll, yeah. have, to, I'll have to take a look at it a little bit. Oh, more, that's but, funny. But I love that's that. Funny. You know, I think that's, yeah. that's what's, a lot of fun, and I think we've really touched on it a lot. Is you know that connecting with with the history in your area, right. and as as much as I love you know a good Appalachian Southern Mountain rifle, um, yeah, there's still something neat about picking up and, and handling something that's a little more appropriate for for the area that I live in. And I think you know when I even if I'm just driving, taking the county roads, uh, you know, back roads to out to work, you know, or something, and I'm driving through a woods, you know, I can kind of be a little bit more present in that woods. Not that I'm distracted while I'm driving, but, you know, thinking about what it looked like 150 years ago. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, and, and, and bringing that all together. And I just, I, I'm having a hard time. I've been thinking about it a lot, but I've been having a hard time describing what that all is. But that, that connecting with history, I think is a, is a big thing that I get excited about. And that, and I think for a lot of us, um, it's, it is that that firearm that helps do it because it was such an important tool as as the migration happened and the expansion happened and and we came into these areas I mean it was it was uh, uh, you know a necessary item to have but now we we can kind of look back somewhat through rose-colored glasses I think but but again like I said these functional works of art and we can we can own them and we can admire them but we can also use them and you know there's a there's a subset there as well. And, um, certainly, you know, folks just starting out aren't, aren't expected to, or, and certainly most likely wouldn't be able to afford to do this, but, um, you know, there's a, there's a, um, 
you know, there's a development in these firearms and they changed over years. So as I got older and was able to afford it, I've actually got a rifle that's appropriate for um, the mid to third quarter 18th century. And then I've got a rifle that's appropriate from late 18th through early 19th century. Mm. And you kind of, you try to apply some common sense to that and you go, well, okay, I've got this rifle that's a 1750 era rifle. What I've had it in 1812. And I don't know the answer to that for sure, but, um, but it would be, that'd be a pretty well used rifle by that point. Yeah. So, um, you know, so, um, it's in, Plus, you just can't have too many rifles. So I right. Think that's I mean, probably, <laughs> that's probably at the bottom of the whole thing. But. I had a guy ask me, you know, at what point is it too many muzzleloaders? And I just said, that's you, you can't get there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And uh, so that's just, you know, that's down the road for most people in their in their development of their of their living history world. Yeah. But, um, and you know, not everything's about guns either. And and I think we have to realize that in our in our event world, um, and just because of the way the culture is changing today we have to stay relevant and so and that's another push with five metals is we we really focus on the demonstration aspect of it because um it's not all about just coming in and watching somebody you know reenact a battle or, or shoot their guns there's just there's just a wider world out there than that mm-hmm. so kind of talking about the the deeper aspects of of living history you didn't go with indiana hog farmer but do you have a a persona or a selection of personas that you portray or or what kind of person do you portray when you're out in an event you know maybe not five medals because you're you're really working through that event running that event but something like mrs cinema you talk about going to what kind of person are you portraying through that week yeah, and I'll back up a little bit um, from our earlier part of the conversation, um, kind of starting out in the French and Indian era. And as I got more into doing the the Wood Scouts, the uh, smaller, just private camps, um, one of the things that, that led me to that, again, it truly it was, it was everybody's, um, um, you know, love of the last Mohicans. But I found that gear, the, the um, clothing of that era just – lended itself better to being out in the woods. And so I, I'm one of, you know, thousands of people that just elected to not really try to be anybody specific Mm. because, you know, if you decide, well, I'm going to be William Henry Harrison, you better be a good William Henry Harrison. And, and uh, I'm too shy for that. So yeah, you um, really want to respect those historic figures. Exactly. Exactly. Do it well or, or, you know, um, keep practicing. And, um, so in my case, I just was this generic person. So I just evolved to kind of a, a person that would have been a scout or a, um, a scout and a hunter perhaps for land, uh, surveyors or speculators and just something that would put me out in this part of the world and allow me to freelance a little bit. Okay. Um, and then, but then as I dialed in tighter on the 1812, then that became, you know, my identity became the second Kentucky volunteer militia. And um, so just as a private and eventually um, achieved the position of first sergeant for that for that um, regiment and has since retired from that. Okay. So so um, that was a real identity there. Um, just just um, portraying that individual with that unit and the responsibilities involved. So now when I'm in 1812, I'm basically a civilian, but I'm also, I'm, I'm the retired first sergeant and can kind of hop in with those guys if I want to. And, um, but I'm, I'm strictly civilian. Okay, cool. 
I like I like hearing about that, especially from folks like you that have been doing this for a while and, and you're experienced in it. Because I think that's uh, another section of the the pressure that maybe somebody new getting into it can feel is is you know well who am I going to be or, or what am I going to be and there's a there's a wide selection you know just as we've talked about the the variety of of crafts and trades that are represented. I mean you right. can go out and find you know a weird niche. You know, I think that one of the things I see online, especially on the East Coast, is like a wharf rat, where people portray just somebody who works on a wharf or at a dock yeah. somewhere. You know, yeah. I, just, I just love those little kind of slices of of 18th and, and 19th century life that we can recreate to our, the well, best of can, our, our ability. Yes, and you can, um, you know, like the things that that uh, Frank and Carol Jarbo work on. Yes. Um, the 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 um, you know the low low cast of society. I mean, heck by 1809 1810 you know cincinnati is a is a developing town you could be out in this neck of the woods and and be in one of those trades if you will um because we are seeing you know we are seeing development you know louisville lexington cincinnati we're seeing the development of those areas and so anytime you start an urban area developing you're going to have the people that that thrive there uh, doing some of these, some of these jobs. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So the, I guess the last formal question I have for you, and we can, we can go on further if you'd like, but what do you think the future of, of muzzleloading and living history looks like? You know, as we start to, we, we've kind of talked about where it's been, uh, especially for you and the area that you're in, but what are the next, you know, 10, 15, 20 years look like? And where do you see them going? Yeah, I've kind of dreaded that question actually, Ethan, because there's some there's some tough parts to that. I think, hmm. um, you know, first of all, um, muzzle loading, um, I think is is overall in pretty good shape. Um, you know, I'm seeing, um, you know, I am seeing younger people getting involved and in, and in taking on muzzle loading, and um, I think the shooting sports in general, as long as, uh, you know, as long as we don't get a lot of political meddling involved, uh, are strengthening. Um, I know that like in Ohio, the Ohio State University does a great job with the Ohio 4-H clubs here in Indiana. Um, and where I live, our local 4-H club has 530 youth in their shooting program. Wow. And yeah. And they, um, and they're shooting everything and they now have, they have one, um, they have one certified range officer for muzzleloading. And I just talked to a, a gentleman a couple nights ago that has volunteered to train as their, they, they have a requirement for two and he's required or, and he's uh, volunteered to um, train as their second range officer for muzzleloading. So uh, five Mills living history incorporated, has pledged uh, that we would make a donation towards powder or accessories and towards a rifle uh, for for that when they get going in the, in the black powder in the muzzle loading. So I'm encouraged by that. Um, I think there's, I think there's a future there. Um, Maybe one of the downsides is the established shooting clubs that many of us are familiar with. And again, I can't speak to um, the East or, or the West necessarily just kind of what, you know, where I'm at in the Midwest and mid South. Um, But we're aging out in these shooting clubs too. And I know that um, the one I'm in, I know we're, we're just struggling to get 
uh, newer members. We have we have some younger people in it, and that's encouraging. They know that their day's coming. They got to step into the leadership roles, but we're not seeing. You know, nobody's knocking our on our door to <laughs> come <laughs> rushing in uh, to join the join the club. So that's that's a concern. But overall, I think I think we're healthy uh, in that regard. The events. Um, that I think the and I keep kind of hitting the same theme. Um, we're definitely aging out there um, in the event circuit and quite a bit in the leadership uh, area as well. And you know I'm right there. I'm I'm thinking about that. Um, I think I I don't think I know that the five medals or events like five medals are crucial to the continued growth of the living history world. And we need a succession plan uh, for the older leaders that are going to, you know, step down at some point. And we're just not seeing a good, strong influx of younger people stepping up to do that. And this isn't meant as a criticism or, you know, trying to coerce anybody into doing that. It's just a reality that we're faced with right now. Um, we're also, this year has been kind of a rough year. I think you felt it as well. Uh, you know, the culture wars out there, and the political upheaval and the divisiveness has found its way into the living history community and into the event yes. arena. And, um, you know, and it's, it's a battle. Um, and so I don't know that those situations will kill events, but I think they're going to cause events to have to pivot a little bit and reevaluate how we operate and, um, and just stay relevant um, to the, to the folks that we want to get through the gates, uh, both as visitors and as participants. And I don't know what those answers are. We just have to be, we have to be, uh, nimble and, and, uh, you know, have good committees that can meet and discuss. We have to be able to have dialogue with, uh, these outside interests that are, um, inserting themselves into our event life. And, um, but that said, um, you know, it's important to keep these events strong um, because I was thinking about this earlier today. Um, I can name like 15 events that have uh, folded in the past few years for whatever reason, mm -hmm. but they're no longer with us as an event. And I can only name like five. And again, this is Midwest, Mid-South. Uh, I can only name like five that are new events that have, that are still surviving. Um, and these are, you know, uh, around the existing events that, that are still active. Well, that's not a good, that's not a good ratio. And so we need to, you know, we need to reverse that in the events that are existing now. We need to, uh, you know, stay involved and help those events uh, remain strong. Um, you know, we just need to, like we talked about earlier, be encouraging to um, people that have interest and to new people. We need to encourage each other. We need to attend. Um, I know merchants, they love to know what the numbers are going to be and they're trying to make a living. Uh, but I encourage merchants to uh, really evaluate hard um, about going to various events and, and do everything you can to be there and encourage and support those events because it takes, you got to have merchants, you got to have, um, you got to have public and you got to have participants. Um, to be there. If you're missing one of those, the event's not going to survive. Mm. But overall, um, you know, I know this sounds a little bit on the negative side, some of this response. No, I think no. it's more just a, it's a reality. Yeah. Um, 
but I am positive because I am encouraged. There's just some so many great people that are in this hobby and so many great people that are willing to help and willing to um, encourage and bring in new people that, you know, we got a future. I like to ask that question. And I would say the majority of the people that I've had on the show have a very similar response, which mm-hmm. I, I think is is really good because there's a, a recognition of, of where we're at. And I think it's a realistic recognition. Um, and I think that it's, just, we're just kind of at a, at a point there where it's, it's kind of a balancing act between we're, we're doing what we know how to do and how do we change it to make sure that it keeps going. And I think right. that's, that's a good place to be at. And, and I've never had any negative feedback, uh, you know, really from, from the listeners about this question, about it, about it being sad or, or hopeless or, or depressing or, or whatnot, because I think just about everywhere that people are at, they're kind of feeling the same thing. And I hope that in having this question and hearing how different people respond to it, because there are nuances in every answer. I hope that collectively, if all of our brains are kind of working on it a little bit here and there, you know, even with just with the release of the episode, that we can kind of start pondering that and start turning the wheels on, on how we can take some action to that. And I think what you've talked to me about, about five metals and, and the, the structure that you've built around it, like you said, that contingency plan, I think that's something that's really important. Uh, and I think it's something that, you know, because of, of culture shifts, you know, maybe events and clubs and organizations haven't necessarily thought about because as a young person now, you know, I just had, uh, my, my first child here this year, my free time between uh, t- between work and my family is super limited. I, I can't, you know, I, I can't necessarily be at a bunch of, of different clubs in my area, you know, helping out as much as I would like to be. But if the clubs are thinking about it and the people that want to get involved are thinking about it, there's a point there where those two will cross, I hope, and we can start to see more interaction back and forth. Oh, absolutely. And, and, um, you know, I really want to thank you, Ethan, for the work that you're doing because, um, you are reaching, you're reaching listeners out there. And if, and again, if you've had other guests who are sharing the same message, you know, that message is getting out there and, you know, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a preacher, you know, if they save one soul, Hey, that's one soul they saved. Well, if these messages reach one person who in their area, uh, steps up at an event, Hey, we're, that's, progress we you know we we achieve something um i think too because the you know the world's changing and technology is changing there's maybe opportunities out there that i certainly haven't thought about and maybe others haven't either that um you know someone may be in your position okay you can't be absent from home you can't be boots on the ground but there's something you can do you know at your computer yeah um that's a uh you know a 30 minute job that just took a bunch of effort because you're quick on a computer uh you know uh that took a took some effort off of somebody else's shoulders and so maybe there's some things like that that we think you know we think outside the box a little bit and um and instead of trying to run an event with you know eight people on a committee we expand it out to 20 because you delegate out these uh jobs in smaller pieces Mm -hmm. i don't you know i don't know what that would look like but but um but yeah, we just we need to think differently, I think, than um, than we have been. Right. I think, um, you know, for anybody listening that hasn't heard them, the, the two episodes 
before this one that you're listening to now, uh, we talked to Jeff Warner from Pennsylvania and Mike McCoy from North Carolina, and they're yeah. both very active and they're around my age, kind of the incoming generation here, I guess, as we're talking about this, but they've found a way to be active in both their local club and their state muzzleloading organizations in that kind of capacity, which I think is really inspiring where they're, they're coming in with some new ideas and, and working with the structure that built that culture in that area to see that continue. So I encourage if you're out there, and, and you're like me, you're kind of young and you want to get involved with some of these clubs, listen to those and, and maybe get a little bit of an idea on how to get involved here and, and help out if you can at, at the point that you are in your life. Because I think that's that's the kind of thing that we need and that's the kind of thing that, uh, you know, as kind of, not that it sounds silly, but it's, it's something that I think about in like, you know, my five-year plan, my 10-year plan just as a person, you know, it's, it's, it's family, you know, homestead, kind of the self-reliance stuff that everybody talks about, but then, you know, getting more active in person with my, my local community, be that the, the local, just like the town that I'm in, because I think that's important. And then the local muzzleloading living history community, because, uh, you know, not to get super deep into it, but the cultural things that we're seeing right now and, and the difficulties that we can sometimes find in muzzleloading, uh, I think can be remedied a lot if you're finding that community of people that you can to work with to, to keep this all going. Uh, yeah, agreed. And, and you know, I, I think I relearn this lesson every single day because I always forget it and do a bad job with it is communication. Yes. You know, just just talk to people. And then, you know, when you're in a leadership position, just communicate and tell people what you're doing and what your plans are and, and get their buy-in. Um, and, I, you know, I was thinking as you were speaking uh, and mentioning these other gentlemen, I'm, I'm thinking, wow, you know, there's stuff just for this event, there's stuff that can be done sitting right at the desk because I'm doing it. I mean, you sit right at the desk and just do it on a computer that would just help the event immensely. And you'd never have to, never have to, uh, you know, set boots on the ground. So I'm calling you next year, Ethan. Please do. I want you to, I want you to keep on me because I I want to be involved and I want to be active. I don't want to sit here and and preach, you know, and and not act on that. I think it's important to, to go out and do the things that we're talking about here. So I I really appreciate your willingness to, to talk with me about this and, and to even have me involved in some capacity. I, I truly do appreciate that. It's going to take all of us. Yes, absolutely. Well, is there anything else that you'd like to talk about? We can kind of go into the, to a little bit of the sign off here, and yeah, I I've kind of I've emptied my brain out. I, okay. I don't have much much more to share today. <laughs> but I just uh, I tell you what, this is this has been a neat uh, experience, and I hope that I really do. I hope and pray that maybe just a couple words that I shared had meaning, um, and you know, I hope that if um, somebody out there. Uh, something wasn't clear or they wanted further definition that they would get a hold of you and I'll be happy to respond electronically and uh, on that. Yeah. To, to recap really quickly, uh, can you go through the event uh, details, the dates, the times, the location and where people can find out more? Great. Um, it is the name of the event is five medals, M E D A L S at the trace. That is in Ligonier, Indiana. Um, you can reach us on our Facebook presence at Five Metals at the Trace. 
Um, it is October 22nd and 23rd. Um, Saturday hours are 9 to 5, Sunday hours 10 until 4. And any educators in the area that are listening, we have a student education day on Friday the 21st. And please reach out to us on the Facebook messaging and I'll get you hooked up with our um, with our uh, student day coordinator and she'll take care of you on that. Um, if somebody's punching it into their GPS, what should they type in for their phone to take them to the event? It is, boy, this is from memory, so this is tough here. I think I got it. 5111 Lincoln Way South Ligonier L-O-L-I-G-O-N-I-E-R, Indiana. Awesome. That's like, it's one of the number one things that I see on, on event flyers. They don't have an, any location. So I always try to make sure that we get the location yep. in there. Yep. <laughs> so we, that's our first thing at the, at the top, a landmark for any folks that would uh, flow into the area for the first time. West Noble high school is right across the street from us. And that is our parking area as well. Wonderful. Well, Mike, thank you so much for your time this evening and uh, and sharing your knowledge. I, I really, truly appreciate it, and I can't wait to see you at the five medals at the Trace this year. Oh, you're, you're so welcome, and I, it was really my honor to be here with you. I very much appreciate it. I'd like to thank Mike Judson again for coming onto the show and, and talking to me about his history in muzzleloading and living history and, and how that extends into the five medals at the Trace event. I think Mike really offers a, a wonderful timeline for living history and, and interest in this hobby and in, in muzzleloading as a sport. Um, you know, he's kind of gone through it all now and is doing his part to continue the history that he cares so much about and the history that we all care so much about. I hope that uh, when I am Mike's age here in just a couple years, I will also be helping out and, and really being active in and making sure this all keeps going and, and continues. I think that's something that we can aspire to in one capacity or another. Like I said in the episode, uh, you know, life gets busy for many of us. Um, but I hope that this kind of gets your gears turning and thinking about how we can get more people involved, how we can be more active and more supportive of the community as a whole. I think that's the only way we see it continue. The internet is great. Uh, you know, I appreciate everybody who listens and, and watches the videos and things, but at the end of the day, what really keeps all this going is you getting out and using this stuff, testing the gear, trying it out and, and living some of this history and, and using your muzzleloaders as much as you can. I'm not saying that to sell bullets or powder or muzzleloaders. I'm saying that to get out there and connect with the culture, connect with American culture, and pass it down to the next generations. Get active in your community, your local community, and your local muzzleloading community to see this all through. That's the mission. I'm going to keep driving that here. I've kind of finally got words for it, so that's what we're going to keep harping on. Uh, that's the kind of thing that I think we're going to continue to see being needed for this great sport to keep it going. If you're at Five Medals at the Trace, looking at being there uh, on Saturday with the family. So if you see me, stop me. Uh, tell me what you love about muzzleloading. I'd love to hear it. Uh, part of the fun of doing all of this is getting to meet with you and, and chat with you at these events. So please, if you're there and you see me, don't hesitate to stop and say hi. Uh, I do appreciate the conversation, especially when we're out and about like that. 
Um, as we head into fall here, there'll be a little bit more hunting content, especially as the seasons start racking up. Got some buddies that have already taken some games, so I'm excited to talk with them a little bit. We're also going to continue some of our historical research and, and documentation conversations here to try to cover the wide berth of muzzleloading through the year here. Um, if this is your first episode, check out the back catalog at ilovemuzzleloading.com slash podcast. We'll also have a video version of the podcast as well as uh, a bunch of other muzzleloading related videos at ilovemuzzleloading.com slash video. I know it's been a concern here lately. Uh, Mike Velleview has been talking about his concerns with YouTube um, and kind of building a secondary platform. I want to say that the I Love Muzzleloading video and podcast catalog, if you can call it that, is backed up on two different platforms. It's backed up on Odyssey and it's backed up on Utreon. Uh, here lately, we've seen Forgotten Weapons and CNR Arsenal talk about Utreon as the place that they're going, uh, and I'm kind of following suit. I'm small potatoes compared to those guys, but uh, they've really defined a lot of, of firearms and firearms culture here on the internet, especially the research side of it. Uh, so I'm going to be following suit there. Um, so that's something to check out if you're concerned about YouTube and you know some of the disagreements that it has on occasion with muzzleloading. You can check out the full catalog of I Love Muzzleloading videos and the podcasts at Utreon and at Odyssey. That's all we have for you this week. Uh, I'd like to thank Mike again for coming onto the show. I'd like to thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, we kind of went down some rabbit holes, but uh, I, as always, really enjoyed this episode. And I, I leave the recording booth here uh, at home uh, excited to, to get back into this, especially as the leaves are turning, get my equipment out and, uh, and get out there and start living some history. And I hope that you are as well. I'm Ethan. I love muzzleloading. Thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. In business, you rarely hear the expression for life. You make a purchase for a product, for a service, and, and there's, a, there's a time frame there. Well, that's not the case with Awaken 180 weight loss. Allow me to explain. You know, a year ago, I started with Awaken 180 weight loss and had incredible success losing weight. But you can lose all the weight in the world and not keep it off. And what good is it? That's why I have support for life from Awaken 180. Yeah. I mean, I go back for check-ins and make sure everything's going smoothly. But if I ever had a problem, the counselors are there to get me back on track. Why don't you do what I did and call for a consultation? 844-346-1800. 844-346-1800. Or go to awaken180weightloss.com.